Welcome to the 7 Seconds or Less podcast. This is a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing? I'm doing good, Max. And uh, the Suns have managed to stay in the news almost all off-season, which has kind of made it feel you know a little quicker than normal, I think. And I'm looking forward to, to jumping into another division preview here this week. Yeah, they somehow have managed to stay relevant week by week. I'm not really sure how they've done it. They're dragging a few decisions on, which is frustrating, which we'll also get into, but uh, it's at least meaning that we're, we're staying in touch with NBA news and, and Suns news, and uh, the NBA's 24-7 these days, Max, it, uh, it doesn't oh, stop. It really is. We had another top 10 player requested trade. It feels like this happens all the time now, but uh, well, real quick before I get into that, I should probably t- tell everybody what we're doing today. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do the uh, Northwest-Southeast divisions, uh, run through those teams, kind of like we did last week. And then obviously we're going to talk about Jimmy Butler and DeAnthony Melton at the top. So Jimmy Butler has requested a trade from the Minnesota Timberwolves. And it sounds like they're going to accommodate his request. Glenn Taylor, initially, I guess it was reported he was going to go behind Thibodeau's back. I guess not really behind his back because he's his boss, but he was just going to handle the trade himself. Then I saw today it was reported that they're all on the same page now. So I think the idea is just they're just going to try to trade Jimmy Butler as soon as possible. Yeah, there was a little bit of tussling there through media channels, it seems, and uh, you know, you don't know how much this stuff gets embellished either, but uh, definitely looked like there was a, a little bit of a disagreement there. But um, Jimmy Butler sounds like he is not going to rock up to training camp. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty clear sign that, um, you know, maybe like the Sun sending Bledsoe home last year, they're, they're pretty much uh, determined to trade him, but they're not going to, uh, you know, let something like Media Day force them into a trade too early and they're going to they're take their time with this. But We'll get into mini later. Good timing. It, it it falls into this division preview, Max. But you know we like to focus on the Suns from the top. So I, I've got a couple of questions for you in regards to Butler. The first one would be, what would you give up if Butler doesn't add the Suns? So when it was first reported, uh, the Clippers, the Nets, and the Knicks were the three teams on his so-called list. And then there was you know rumors that there might be a couple more added over time. But as we are at, at this point in time, the Suns aren't on the list. So, you know, talking about a rental, a, a Paul George type situation, what what would you be willing to give up? When you say not on his list of teams, are you saying that he's basically saying, I'm not going to resign there? Or is he saying there's a chance? Or So what, what exactly am I looking at here in terms of circumstances? He's totally non-committal when you talk to him. He's, uh, he's, not, he's not saying, do not trade for me, but he's... Uh, he's not making any clear indication that Phoenix would be a place that uh, he would sign long-term. So you're pretty much going blind on this and, and trying to convince him over the course of the season that, that maybe he should stay. Okay, in that scenario, I think I'm trading... I think I'm only holding on to Booker, Ayton, and Mikel. 
and I'm only giving up Jackson if it's like that's the only thing I'm giving up in the entire trade. I think that's where I'm going in that situation. What about you? Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I, I've got in my notes here not much. Um, we kind of mm. I ran through this uh, in a, a recent Bright Side of the Sun column and, and gave my thoughts, which is why I was kind of interested in getting yours. But I think I could be tempted into Jackson, but as of right now, I'm I'm kind of thinking that I I wouldn't give up much at all for Butler in that situation, just because you know I've been pretty adamant on this that I I don't think the Suns should go. Um, searching for a, a star in this kind of situation and give up any more assets. We've seen them give away, you know, quite a few already this off season, and uh, you know I'm not ready for that gamble yet. We've kind of discussed the the West bloodbath quite a bit, and um, you know I, I'm kind of preaching patience in a scenario like this for the Suns. But you know I, I can see why Jackson would be attempting one. But you know, I'll throw it to you again, Max. What do you give up if Butler does add the Suns to the list? So. I guess to clarify again, this time he he's officially added the Suns to the list as a place that he would be willing to sign on long term. Is that a point where you then, uh, you know, throw everything at him? Yeah, if he's if he's kind of wink winking the way Chris Paul did with Houston, like it's kind of already agreed upon that he's going to sign an extension. It's, I'm going to trade quite a bit for him. Yep. Uh, because the way I look at it is the, really what matters in this team is Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, right? Those those are the main pieces. It, that the future of the franchise depends on those two. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to pay... Say Jackson breaks out of star fight. You can't pay the, all these guys at star money anyway. So you're going to have to make some decisions. And it makes sense to me to do it now and get somebody like that if he's interested in, in you know being here for the next half decade and kind of mentoring Booker and Aiton, showing them how to work, showing them how to win, showing them how to play consistent defense. All that stuff we preach about how this team hasn't... you know just None of these kids know how to do it. They're all little kids who've never played in winning situations. So having a guy of you know kind of Jimmy Butler's... I don't know, gravitas, I guess, in the locker room, I think would go a long way towards turning this this team around. And I think that almost provides as much value as, as he would provide just as a player, which, by the way, he's freaking awesome. He's a top 10 player, as I said earlier. So I, you're getting a lot out of Jimmy Butler when you trade for him. Yeah, he, you know, very similar situation when he came to the Wolves with Towns and Wiggins. And obviously that hasn't gone that well. And I think Mm-mm. I don't like to touch on personal stuff too much. And, and we try and stay away from it uh, on this pod as well. But, you know, you do have to think from a, a front office point of view that that is coming into the consideration and, and certainly coming into consideration with Devin Booker, given his relationship with Carl Anthony Towns. So no one knows quite what has gone on there, but there's probably some questions that need to be asked. But from a, a pure on-court standpoint, I think you make a lot of good points. He would be the perfect mentor for this team. And, you know, if you do pay him, it, it then matches up, you know, pretty well with Aiton in terms of when you would need to pay him again. So, you know, salary situation-wise, you're probably not um, sacrificing too much by putting everything into Butler and Booker for the next, you know, four to five years and then Aiton kind of taking over the Butler contract after that. And as you say, I think... This team going forward, if it's going to be a contender, is more than likely going to be built around Booker and Aiton. So, you know, I think I'd probably definitely give up Jackson like we touched on before. I'd probably throw in the Suns first. Um, you'd, you'd look at the Milwaukee first as well. Um, and then you're obviously looking at salary filler to get up to, to Jimmy Butler's kind of $20 million. So you said before you kind of untouchables in the other scenario. Is it just Booker and Aiton who become your untouchables in this scenario, Max? In terms of just untouchables, yes. I mean, I probably wouldn't put together like everything else the Suns have in trade for him, you know what I mean? Yeah. But th- nothing else would be totally off limits. But I want to go back to a point you just made, because I think it was a really good one. I haven't thought of it before, was that 
Yeah, obviously, Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler are, are at odds, it seems. Definitely Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins. That, that can be confirmed. But Jimmy yeah. Butler and Cat also seem to be at odds, and I didn't even factor in the fact that, you know, maybe Devin Booker's not the biggest Jimmy Butler fan. Also, just generally, Jimmy Butler has sort of been at the center of some locker room issues everywhere he's been so far. Uh, it's only been two places, so maybe it hasn't always been his fault. And it does kind of seem like a lot of the, the, the grind was because he wanted to work really hard, and his teammates didn't as much. Which, you know, I, mean, I can't blame him for that. So if that's all it was, then it's not a big of a deal. But he has sort of been, I, would, I don't want to go as far as to say a locker room cancer, but he's been someone who's had some problems in the locker room. And then also the other thing on him is, you know, obviously he's older and he's had a, some injury issues. He's also, you know, he's aged in Thibodeau years. Thibodeau runs his players into the ground, especially exactly. Jimmy Butler. So there's some downside risks to a trade like this. So I understand some fans who would be hesitant to give up too much for him. Yeah, I think some questions would definitely need to be asked, and it's probably a, a great litmus test for where the Suns' front office sees themselves and, and how desperate mm-hmm. they are, because, you know, as you mentioned at the top, there has been a number of stars that have come up, and for various reasons, the Suns kind of haven't bitten, whether it's been the price or, you know, the fit with, you know, whoever that player was. But, you know, Butler's a, probably a pretty great fit on the court, but maybe it's some of that other stuff that... Um, you know, we'll see whether the Suns are willing to take the risk or not. But um, yeah, an interesting watch this space. And uh, as I've touched on a couple of times, I'm, I'm looking forward to throwing some, you know, non-Suns trades your way later on in the Minnesota section, Max. I love fake trades, so I'm looking forward to it too. I think there's actually some some fascinating ones. If you if you don't touch on some ones, I, I have some more for us. All right, we'll, we'll get stuck in. But I thought we should go back to Melton. We did touch on him last episode that he wasn't signed. Uh, the Suns have since in the last week finally signed Melton to a two-year deal at the league minimum, both years guaranteed, which comes out at about $2.3 million. But yeah, I thought, Max, we, we touched on Melton quite a bit in pre-draft and then um, maybe a, a little bit after the trade as well. But you know, for new listeners that haven't kind of heard, you, you're kind of higher on, or you were higher on Melton around draft time, and I've been doing some more looking at him and, and becoming quite excited about his fit with the Suns now that we can you know, be sure that he's at least going to be on the team for, for game one because he can't be traded for 30 days. So, you know, I thought I'd give you the opportunity to kind of pitch your, your long-term vision for Melton again with, with what you know of him as a player, Max. Absolutely. So, DeAnthony Melton is a guy I fell in love with because he fits... The thing I like the most in prospects, and I'm always going to fall for guys like this, guys who just have great feel for the game they're playing, right? Because sometimes, it seems super to say this, but... Sometimes we forget that you know they're playing a game and just being good at the game is important. Yep. It's yep. not all just being athletic or having these like assorted skills. You have to just be good at playing the basketball game. And Danny Milton is that. He is especially on defense. His feel level is it's really elite. The guy just reads the game so well. You'll see him make just such smart uh, plays on defense. The way he like rotate sort of in un- unnatural ways that, that that will surprise the offense. And he'll just he's so many steals and blocks doing things like that. It's just. Suns fans are going to fall in love with this guy because he does things that no one else has done with this team for, for years. All hustle and, and active hands, I think, two things you kind of touched on there, Max, which, um, you know, if you if Suns fans would go back and look at his Summer League highlights, I, I touched on it on Twitter the other day. He really went into Summer League wanting to prove that he could shoot. I think he took like 30, 38 threes mm-hmm. in five games, which is 
far and, and away uh, more than anyone else on that Houston Rockets team that he played on. And uh, I think he shot 31% in the end. But those highlights, I, I don't think, do his game any justice because that was kind of all you see if you watch a highlights package from Summer League. Whereas if you go back and, and watch some of the stuff that, that you're talking about here, Max, from his freshman year in college, he, he just does so much more on the court that uh, unless you're watching full games or you know extended highlights packages, you just don't pick up with Melton. Totally. And yeah, you touched on the shooting. Shooting's huge for him. He needs to be able to shoot. And there's encouraging signs there. He's definitely better now than he was, especially here at USC. But he's already got the playmaking. He's, he, like I said, he's got great feel. So he's a, he's a pretty good passer already. So I think I think people will be pleasantly surprised with how well he plays point. Uh, but I'm already, you mentioned, mentioned the, uh, the hustle level too. I'm, I'm predicting this already, that in preseason, Suns fans are going to fall in love with this kid because he's going to be playing harder than everybody else. And he's going to be awesome in preseason. That's definitely going to happen. Uh, and then once the regular season starts, he's not going to play at all, or he's going to play very little, and it's going to inspire a lot of rants from me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're taking the Vegas over-under on like 30 rants from me on Twitter in November about Melton not playing enough, I, I take the over. Yeah, there's definitely a crunch there at the moment. Uh, the Booker situation will be interesting about whether some minutes open up in those first few games uh, for some of these guys mm-hmm. to maybe stake their claim to stay in the rotation when Booker comes back. But, you know, those two together projecting forward is really exciting, Max, because it's perfect. We've, we've discussed it so many times. We discussed it in those pre-draft conversations about Booker partners and, and wanting an, an anti-Booker on the court. And, and Melton is certainly that, particularly because at the moment he can't really shoot, which is obviously Booker's greatest skill on the NBA court. But um, he, he brings a lot of things that Booker doesn't currently, and, and they kind of complement each other quite well. So, you know, that's definitely one, you know, if you look at all these backup point guards on the roster at the moment, and the Suns might still add add somebody else. But, you know, I think he has a real shot to be uh, a starting point guard in the league in that kind of, you know, Patrick Beverly mold that we've spoken about is is a great foot fit with Booker going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the fit with Booker is an important point because Melton's not, like, he's not a tiny guy. He's he's a point guard, but he's also like 6'4", six, 6'8", six, wingspan, 200 pounds. Like, the dude's He's pretty hefty. He can guard twos if uh, if Booker can't guard the two for whatever reason, you know? So the Anthony Milton is definitely the kind of guy you put on the best perimeter player on their team and just forget about it because he's going to be able to handle it. Yeah, and a, and a great guy to have in this kind of team projecting forward. You, you mm-hmm. need that guy. So, yeah, I think that's a great little wrap-up on Melton and what Suns fans can, you know, predict going forward. But, you know, the last thing I'll touch on with him is we did only get him for those two years. We discussed kind of hoping to create enough cap room to, to get him for four like the Okobo deal, Max. But that means he will be a arenas rule restricted free agent in year three, which we saw with uh, Fred Van Viet this last off season. And, um, you know, that'll be interesting if he does play quite well in the first two years, the Suns might be, uh, you know, forced to match an offer sheet from another team that puts them in a, a little bit of a bind. So that's something to, to watch going forward. But it also takes our guaranteed contracts max to 14 uh, and the overall contracts to 17 because of uh, Shaq, Rashan Holmes and Cannon's non-guaranteed deals. And then we've got King on a two-way. So we've got 18 bodies at the moment for training camp. And uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns add a couple more. They can have up to 20 for training camp and then cut it back to 15 uh, before the season starts. So that's going to be really interesting to, to watch and see what decisions the Suns make, particularly if there's still a trade on the horizon as well. But speaking of roster crunches, we'll, we'll throw to 
Uh, one more question here from Ali on Twitter. I threw it out just before we jumped on uh, for someone to, to fill a space here for us with, with a question that they might want answered. So he's asked, with Anderson on the team, now there's a clear problem, he thinks, with Ariza are locked for a starting spot and Anderson probably too. That kind of means Jackson and Warren are going to have to come off the bench together and then you've got this logjam of, of wings. So... You know, his specific question here is, how do you think Igor can make it all work? So I guess first, Max, what, what do you think about Warren and Jackson being forced to play together in a stack-up unit? Is that uh, bad news for the Suns? Um, first of all, great question, Ali. I think, it's, I think this is a really important one because the team kind of shifted uh, when we made that trade for, for Anderson. Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal because neither one of them can shoot. Obviously, it'll be more ideal if Jackson can shoot, if he develops a shot before the season starts. But, you know, jury's out on that. So we'll see. I think it's going to be really important that they have spacing around them. So maybe Troy Daniels will become a useful piece on the bench unit yep. with those guys. Uh, hopefully Bender's playing well and he can help space the floor. Um, so you're going to want to space out around those guys because it's actually, if you have three shooters around them, I'm not saying they have three shooters, but if they, if they could find a way to have three shooters around them, it's kind of an interesting little wing pair, right? You can have, like, kind of taking turns uh, against backup units. That's sort of interesting. Yeah, and both both pretty good with the ball in their hands, Max. So yes, with this yes, point guard situation, you know, there's a couple of off-ball guys here, whether it's Melton or Shaq, um, you know, that aren't, you know, pure point guards. We saw the struggles that... Um, you know, that Shaq particularly had in summer league in being a playmaker. So, you know, you could have the ball in in both of those guys' hands, as you say, kind of taking turns a little bit and and being effective as almost backup point guards in the second unit. Yeah, and in an ideal world, also, uh, Okobo's good right away, or at least serviceable right away, so he can kind of shoot and play point guard. That that would help that unit too, I think. Uh, And then the last point I'll make on this is that I, I agree, Ali. I think it's, it's set in stone that Ariza and Anderson are going to be starting when the season starts, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't shock me if Ariza moves to the bench at some point down the line for one of Jackson or uh, Warren or even Mikel, because I think Ariza is a sign to sort of be that veteran presence, that, that fungible piece that you kind of move around to, to help the team however, however best fits. Yeah, and you can't have too many complaints when you're being paid $15 million for one year. <laughs> no, you, so. no, you can't. All right, I think that's it, right? You ready for Did You Know? I certainly am, Max. Well, we just went over the Suns potentially trading for Butler, but I'm going to lob an easy one up for you to start Did You Know this week with a more recent look at history, Max. Did you know that Ryan McDonough has already traded for a Butler once before as GM of the Phoenix Suns, and can you name who it was? Razul? <laughs> it is not. <laughs> I don't know. I'm drawing a blank here. Who is it? It was, of course, Karam Butler. Oh, shit, I totally forgot about that. I forgot about Karan Butler as a human. I just forgot he existed. <laughs> uh, we just wound up speaking about Gilbert Arenas with his provision that's named after him, and we have also spoken about Anton Jameson in this segment recently. I got that one right. Butler was their teammate on one of my random favorite non-Suns teams of the last 10 or so years. So, Max, a harder question for you here. As you mentioned... We are now talking about the Northwest and Southeast teams here today. So how many of Butler's nine NBA teams can you name from those two divisions? Um, He played for Washington for sure. Yep, he had 310 games for Washington, which is the most in his career. He was on Miami. Wasn't he part of that trade for, uh, for Shaq? Yep, that's his second most, actually, with 146 games for Miami. So there's one more very random one that he only played 22 games for, Max, and I'll give you a hint, it's from the other division. 
from the Northwest, huh? Man, I don't remember. OKC? It is OKC. Three for three. Hey, how about that? He also played for uh, Sacramento, the least amount of games, uh, just under OKC there. And uh, the Clippers, Detroit, LA, Dallas, and Milwaukee. Perhaps a surprise, Max, Phoenix was not one of the nine teams I listed, and that's because he never actually set foot on the hardwood for our Suns. As you probably remember, he came to the Valley in the Bledsoe deal, where the Suns essentially traded Jared Dudley and a 2014 second rounder for Bledsoe and Caron Butler. Bledsoe, of course, eventually became Greg Monroe and a couple of potential draft picks, but Butler was traded much sooner for Ish Smith and Slava Kratsov, both of which were eventually waived by the Suns. So where are they all now? Dudley is still in the NBA, now on the Nets after briefly returning to Phoenix. Bledsoe is currently with Milwaukee. Smith is currently with Detroit. And Munro is currently with Toronto for this season, Max. But what about the lesser pieces? I wonder what might have become of them. The 2014 second rounder I spoke about before from the Dudley deal in the original trade became Lamar Patterson. He was drafted by Milwaukee, but played 40 games with Atlanta. He recently played for Torino in Italy and Lhasa Jingtu in China, Max. I'm sure I butchered that name. <laughs> Slava's last stop in the NBA was with the Suns on that team. He also went to China, then to Russia, then to Spain, and then to Turkey before returning back to Spain currently. And now, finally, Caron Butler. He last played for Sacramento, as I mentioned, in 2016, but didn't officially announce his retirement until Feb 6, 2018, Max. That date even has some significance for the Suns. It is just four days after the Suns signed Josh Gray last season and two days before they traded for Alfred Payton. Another 13 days later, the Suns signed Shaquille Harrison. Butler retired Max right in the middle of the Suns trying to fix their point guard problem last year, which brings me back to that Milwaukee pick. Currently looking like being a first-round pick in 2020, and essentially the last piece left from the string of events after the first Dudley trade by McDonough. It was essentially Ryan McDonough's first trade as GM of the Suns, so we wind up with Dudley and a second rounder for a protected Milwaukee pick incoming in 2020 max. Ironically, the eventual return from McDonough's first ever move for the Suns could wind up being part of the next move he makes, and it might be for another Butler or a point guard, Max. So I'll leave you and the listeners with that, and we can jump into the Northwest and Southeast Division previews. So much of... I've been a McDonough defender pretty much this entire time he's been here, and I think so much of that comes from how much I love that Bledsoe trade. It was just such a good trade at the time. It was obviously a good trade. It turned out to be a good trade. Yeah, the ending wasn't great, but obviously we got a lot of value for him. And I think I think my impression of McDonough was colored a lot by how good I thought that trade was. Yeah, and I think we can lose sight sometimes. You know, there might be a bad trade or two in the middle there, but these kind of things even out. And sometimes it's good to kind of see what the, uh, you know, the first, what the trade started out it as and, and what we kind of ended up with. Because, you know, if you ask me back then if we could trade Dudley in a second rounder for a, you know, what could be a valuable first round pick from Milwaukee in 2020, I probably would have said yes at the time too. So, you know, all the things that happened in the middle there, we got some games out of some guys, you know, particularly Bledsoe. But yeah, it, it's an interesting look, Max. All right, David, let's move on to the division previews. Uh, we'll do it the same way we did last week. I'll start by uh, listing the ins and outs of the players who you know came in and out of the roster. 
Uh, we'll talk about each team in alphabetical order, and then we'll each give one bold prediction for each division and also rank the teams in each division. David, sound good? Yep, very much looking forward to this first division here, Max. Yeah, we're starting with the Northwest mainly because it's way more interesting than the Southeast, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the first team is among the more interesting. It's the Denver Nuggets. They didn't change a ton. They added Michael Porter Jr., but I don't think he's going to play much, if at all, this season. Uh, they added Isaiah Thomas, Jared Vanderbilt, who's sort of an interesting rookie. Uh, leaving was Darrell Arthur to Phoenix, Wilson Chandler, Kenneth Fareed, Devin Harris, and Richard Jefferson. David, the Denver Nuggets are sort of an NBA Twitter darling. They're really fun to watch. A lot of people like this team, but they're obviously not like a contender, really. They're sort of on the outside looking in. But what, in your estimation, could change that? Like, what does what has to happen? Which of these players need to really you know make a jump or a leap or whatever to... To make this seem really something we're talking about as a team that could possibly come out of the West. Well, first of all, Max, I think they need to make a trade. Um, mm. You know, the starting five here is really impressive, and and you in, you kind of listed the ins and outs there, and it's probably a positive overall as long as uh, you know Michael Porter eventually turns into a good player, and and Isaiah Thomas can be you know the player that we uh, remember rather than maybe the one that played on Cleveland last year, but. Um, you know, the depth chart is kind of all out of whack. And I've noted here, it, it's kind of the one Suns link to this team is, you know, they don't have problems at, at the same positions. They do have point guards to start with in kind of Jamal Murray and, and Thomas, as I said, but there's virtually no wings on this team at all and a whole heap of power forwards. So they did get rid of Arthur and Fareed, but, you know, there's still a lot of guys sitting in those kind of big positions and yeah, you know, I've kind of noted here. I don't, I don't know whether it would work, but you know, the the GMs of the Suns and the Nuggets are, you know, very good friends and and kind of have worked together in the past. So you know, maybe a TJ Warren destination. You know, I I kind of think they're they're really looking for a wing here to take that step up because other than maybe getting more games out of Millsap than they did last year, as you said, it, it's kind of hard to see them jumping from awesome team to watch probably make the playoffs to kind of real serious contender max. Yeah, so the, I agree with you that they really need a wing. Uh, but the problem with them drafting Michael Porter Jr., the same problem I have with them trading for TJ Warren if they were to do that, is the, the reason why they need a wing is they need somebody to play some defense on the wing. And I, I don't know if Michael Porter Jr. is going to do that. I don't think so. I know TJ Warren's not going to do that. So I, yeah. think, I don't know if that solves the problem. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt's kind of interesting in, yep. that, in that role. But, I mean, obviously he's hurt all the time and he's a rookie. He's very unproven. Um, man, I, I, for me, I think it, it's going to require a lot of improvement out of Jamal Murray, who I think is a very real, most improved player candidate, because he's awesome, and I, I think if they let him kind of have a little more leash, shoot a little more, play a little more like Booker, because uh, I, I think he is kind of comparable. I, if I'm going to pick one guy in the league who's the most comparable to Devin Booker, I'd probably pick him. Mm-hmm. Not just because they're Kentucky guards, but they at least kind of similar skill sets. Uh, Devin Booker's a little craftier, a little more of like a, a two-point scorer. Uh, Jamal Murray... Maybe a little more athletic, a little more flash, um, but they're similar. And I think that Jamal Murray taking that next step would, would do a lot for them because right now they don't have a ton of playmaking outside of, obviously, Nicole Jokic, who's the best playmaking big in the league. Yeah, and I think one plus that they do have is they kind of have all the playmaking they need out of the point guards and then the big positions with both Millsap and obviously Jokic is a... Uh, or Jokic, I should say, is a, a really interesting guy. you got to be careful, David. Pronunciation is <laughs> important on this podcast. Yeah, i, I got to correct myself there. But, you know, he's a really interesting guy to, to kind of throw the ball to and, and run some stuff through as well. So in terms of wings, it, it makes the job of the GM and the coach really easy. You just need to plug and play, you know, some really solid 
uh, role players. Um, and as you touched, uh, touched on there, you know, if they can play defense, that would be great. Um, and if they can shoot outside shots, that would also be great. But, you know, we might see someone like Barton kind of have to spot start at small forward if you look at the depth chart. Mm-hmm. It, it's just so thin there. So they're going to be a really interesting team to watch. And, and as I said, particularly if things start poorly, a, a team to watch in terms of making a trade because uh, that depth chart just looks a little out of whack for me, Max. They're one of my favorite Jimmy Butler destinations. I think they'd be, he'd be perfect there, and I think we might be touching on that very soon, right? Minnesota's next. Yeah, let's let's segue into Minnesota. I haven't listed Denver, but maybe you can throw one of those trades you spoke about uh, up there. But there's lots of ground to cover on Minnesota. So do you want me to run through the uh, the ins and outs real quick? Ah, uh, yes, please do. Yeah, I'll run through the ins and outs, then we'll get to the questions. This is a really interesting team. Uh, they added Kata Bates the up, Luol Deng, of course. James Nunnally, Scott Howard's favorite player. Josh Okoji. Anthony Tolliver, who was actually pretty underrated last season. Uh, leaving were Cole Aldrich, Nemanja Bielica? Bielica? Bielica, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Aaron Brooks, Jamal Crawford, and that's all the people who matter. Yeah, so um, interesting ins and outs as you touched on there, Max. So thanks for throwing that in. But the first Suns link here, uh, which we didn't mention at the top, is we saw Zach Lowe mention Tyus Jones' name uh, in linkage to the Suns, which we Mm -hmm. hadn't seen before. So uh, you and I differ on this slightly, so I'll throw it to you. What would you give up for Tyus Jones to be the starting point guard on the Suns next year? I'd give him something significant. He's a really good player. Uh, he's underused, like way underused by Minnesota. If you look at the the numbers on him, he's kind of kind of he's not great at anything, but he's good at everything. Yeah, and maybe a Butler trade might open up, um, you know, minutes for him. But before this stuff with Butler, it was looking like he was going to be relegated behind Derrick Rose again, which um, was would be interesting to see, Max. He still might be. I don't know because they have Teague and Rose. There. I, I don't know what they're planning on doing with him. I think they're just—it's kind of criminally misusing him. I mean, he's really whenever he's on the court, you can look at the numbers. Backs it up. Minnesota's better. I think they were like six points better with him on the floor last year. He's just—he's yep. a good player, and they're not using him correctly. So, what would I trade for him? Uh, a decent amount. He's also only twenty-one. He fits you know all the timelines. I—I would—I think the argument you and I had was Bender. Would you give a bender for him? And I unequivocally would. Yeah, and, and I I wouldn't at this stage, but I I definitely think you make a good point, and and we'll get to Tyus all the way at the end, uh, just to kind of tease there Ooh. with the seven seconds or less questions he might be thrown in there a little max. So I'll jump into some fake trades here in Minnesota, and there's kind of two questions here from you, Max. It's kind of a a yes or no whether you would do them as Minnesota, okay. and then the big question here with Minnesota after a Butler trade is whether they're still a playoff team. So after each trade, let me know if you think uh, it, it's enough to make them or make Tibbs happy and, and make them still a playoff team in the West. So I'm going to start with the teams that uh, were on his list to begin with. So we'll start with the LA Clippers. I've got uh, Tobias Harris, who's an expiring, Lou Williams, who I think uh, Tibbs would love uh, in that Jamal Crawford role from last year, and a first-round pick, probably a Clippers first-round pick. Would you do that as Minnesota, Max? Hmm. So I would. I'd rather have a better offer than that. But I, that's an offer that I would pull the trigger on. I wouldn't hold him against his will on the team rather than make that trade. I guess is how I'd put that. And they still a West playoff team then? They're borderline. I'd probably say no, but it's like they're battling for it at the end there. Yeah. We'll move on to Brooklyn here, which are a really hard one, and 
Uh, we saw with the Butler news that Minnesota might be looking for a team to take Dieng's contract back. So uh, Butler and Dieng are going to Brooklyn in this deal. Uh, one of Carroll or Crabber included for salary. Brooklyn's first from this upcoming season. And then Brooklyn are holding just a whole heap of seconds. So, you know, a couple of really valuable second round picks, Max. Would you take that as Minnesota? I probably say uh, probably the exact same answer. I would if it was like best offer, um, but I don't love it. Uh, I would not do that if I was Brooklyn, though. Hell no. <laughs> Brooklyn needs to trap somebody. Yeah, you're right. Um, and wouldn't make Minnesota a playoff team next no, year unless not. kind of Towns and Wiggins took over. So we'll move on to New York, which are tough also. They, these teams, probably outside of the Clippers, are really tough teams that Butler's put on his list. But best kind of trade I came up with here is uh, Frank Nidalekina going to Minnesota, along with Courtney Lee, who could be a player that Tibbs would like, uh, and a, and a first-round pick, Max. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's my favorite one for Minnesota so far. I'm obviously a Frank Nielakini guy, but I, I like him on that team. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'm not doing that if I'm New York, but I, Minnesota, yes, I do it. Probably not a playoff team, though. I don't think Frank will be good enough yet, but that's one that makes sense kind of as a future move. Cool, and I'll throw two more teams that kind of I'm throwing into the mix here in Philadelphia and Miami. So very mm-hmm. quickly, Philadelphia, Wilson Chandler and Jared Bayless, and then the prize here is Zaire Smith. They're kind of their star-hunting piece, Max, so... Would you do that as Minnesota? Who I don't think so. Man, maybe. I don't know. It's tough. Zaire Smith, it, I mean, obviously, it's me doing this, so I love Zaire Smith, so I guess I probably do, but I think there's zero chance that they would do that. And I've just got a little bit of a hunch here that Miami might try and get in the mix. Um, I think they're a team that would definitely have to take Jeng's contract back. So uh, I've got James Johnson and Kelly Olynyk making up salary and, and valuable pieces on a you know a playoff uh, contender, and then Josh Richardson's the real prize here for Minnesota. Wow, yeah, I do that of Minnesota. That Josh Richardson's so underrated. That guy's really damn good. Uh, he really is. Yeah, I do that for sure. Okay, so kind of maybe my last question here for Minnesota is who your favorite is to land him, and and maybe you can throw uh, one of those other hypotheticals in there, Max. Um, so yeah, I'll give you my hypothetical. I don't think this is going to happen. I'll give you this first, but I, I love the idea of this. I think a CJ McCollum, Jimmy Butler swap is, is fascinating. Yeah, that's intriguing. I haven't really thought of that before. Like, I, obviously Portland's backcourt is sort of limited with the dub side. I think everyone kind of acknowledges that now. Um, yep. and Jimmy Butler and Damian Lillard together. That's fun. That's, that's an attitude team, you know? Yeah, it really is. And then, uh, McCollum makes a lot of sense with Wiggins and Cat because he's, you know, he spaces the floor. He can do some of like the, you know, you know ancillary playmaking. I, I like him on that team. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. We might, you know, see, you know, the fit there with Teague is, is pretty good. Teague's probably less ball dominant than say Dame Lim- mm-hmm. Lillard is. And I think CJ's always kind of classed himself more as a you know a playmaking guard and has kind of had to play a lot of off-ball stuff at least next to Dame and, and run some second units sometimes in Portland so yeah that's an intriguing fit and and the kind of fit I think you've really nailed on the head the kind of move that the Wolves could make uh you know if Tibbs is the is the guy leading them forward because he's definitely not going to want to take a step back yeah my guess is that he's going to look at this kind of the same way Pop looked at the the Kawhi trade you know, we're going to be looking yep. at, oh, is Boston going to get in there with all those future assets? But I don't think they gave a shit about any of that stuff. They want a star now, and McCollum fits the bill. I think that's what they're kind of going with this. In terms of prediction of what they're actually going to happen, though, man, it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it really is. We really have very little information about, like, who's pursuing it. We know, like, half the league's pursuing it, but we don't know 
anything about the deals or you really anything about that. But if I had to guess, you I have my guess for you. Ready? Go. I think Milwaukee's going to trade Chris Middleton for him. Ooh, that's another big wild card. I'm going to play it safe and and read the cards here and and say the Clippers eventually make a move for him. But we should probably move on to the OKC Thunder now, Max. Let's do it. My OKC Thunder, I'm calling him. (laughs) In for them, Hamadou Diallo, who I don't like, but uh, Timothée Luau Cabarro, I think that's how you say his name, Uh, Abdel Nader, Nerlens Noel, and Dennis Schroeder. Out, Carmelo Anthony, Corey Brewer, Nick Collison, PJ Dozier, um, Kyle Sinkler. That's probably the last important person. David. OKC didn't add a ton of star talent, but I've made it very clear on this podcast that I think they got a lot better. We haven't totally gotten your opinion. I want to get your, your totally max-free, in a vacuum, not, me not leading the conversation at all, opinion on OKC. I think I am in a little bit of luck here with my kind of theory, to be honest, Max. As you said, I haven't really touched on it when you've um, kind of spoken quite glowingly about OKC in the past, whilst I have agreed with your methodology. But the Russ injury gives me kind of a little bit of a reason to to justify why I'm a little cautious. And, you know, from a Suns perspective, uh, you know, we've touched on the pod before that uh, we actually play them three times in the first month, and if Russ misses any kind of time, that's a great time to get a team like that. Um, you know, that many times early on in the season. So uh, that's really interesting from Phoenix's perspective. It really boils down to me t- to how much time Russell does miss, because I think without Russell, this team is is you know kind of a little gross. Um, you know, everything has kind of been built around Russ. So mm-hmm. it, it really becomes a, a, a bit of a uh, an odd team without his presence. But, you know, I've, I've really been convinced with some recent pods we've had where you've spoken about OKC and also the, the pods we've spoken about continuity. And as you said, they haven't changed an awful lot added some kind of intriguing pieces in, in Noel and, and a few others and got rid of some bad contracts. So, yeah, I'm I'm kind of there, but it really does depend on, on Russell Westbrook's health. Um, and, and I could see them, you know, when I continually look at the West and, and post predictions on, on Twitter and stuff, they're definitely in my top four. Um, I'm just not quite as high on them at the pointy end of the season as you are, Max. The addition by subtraction uh, of getting rid of Carmelo Anthony kind of can't be overstated. <laughs> He was really throwing yeah. the punch bowl on that team. It, it, sometimes it's not even so much like a player is just bad, even though he was. It was just that a player prevents you from doing what you should be doing. And that team just should be focused on Russell Westbrook's kind of just the, everything on offense, the focal point, and everything around him is just all about shooting and defense. It's, it's, it's just it. That's all you do. And I think this team has finally sort of consolidated the perfect pieces around him, and especially considering they have Paul George, who is kind of the exact person you want next to Westbrook because he's – He's unequivocally more of a two than a one. He's not the kind of guy who's going to be the star of your offense and of a good offense anyway. But he is someone who does have some offensive ability. He could be a secondary. He plays great defense consistently. He can shoot. He's just he's just somebody that you a perfect second star for Westbrook in my opinion. Yeah, he is, and I think you know Mo hit the nail on the head in in our pod with him that they kind of made that Anthony trade quite late in the piece, and it kind of threw everything out that they'd probably mm-hmm. been planning on. Uh, all off season, whereas this off season they made their moves early, they locked in the guys that they wanted, and they've probably been developing a plan of how it can all work. You know, on the back of you know how things worked in the playoffs when you know they they did eventually kind of relegate Mello to 
that kind of spot up role with with not much kind of running through him. So you know someone else will take that role this season, and it will really be all about Westbrook and George. But you know again, it, it's going to come back to they don't seem too worried about it, but it's going to come back to to Westbrook's health and. Um, you know, I'm not too fond of uh, you know Schroeder starting at point guard with Paul George as the number one option start to the season for OKC. Um, you know, for more than you know five to ten games, it, it could get quite hairy there, Max. Yeah, real quick, I, I just want to touch on that last point you got to because it, I think it's so huge. Dennis Schroeder is what 23, 24. I mean, he's still got some like you know development potential to him. He's always been on kind of a weird situation. I guess early on Atlanta was kind of good, but he was so young back then. Uh, I think that there's a chance, I'm not saying I'm predicting it, I think there's a chance that Schroeder sort of turns into a different player this year. Not the same, you know, headstrong, I'm going to take a bunch of shots, not pass the ball. The, the, the kind of the reason why everybody hates Dennis Schroeder, I think some of those things might might fall off this year, and that would be very helpful for OKC if they did. Yeah, and I think it, it was a worthy risk worth taking mm. because, you know, the, the alternative was stretching... Um, Mallow's contract, which just becomes dead money that you can't move then. And a few smart people have made this point. I think Zach Lowe was one of them, and a few people have piggybacked on the back of that. Is At least with Schroeder, you have a playable piece that you can still trade into the future. It is a pretty rough-looking contract right now, but it's still a flexible piece rather than just straight dead money on your books. So I think OKC made the right move there, and it's all going to come down to how it can work and whether he can play that kind of Jackson to Westbrook role that we saw work uh, with the Thunder a couple of years ago before Jackson, you know, decided he really wanted to be a starter in the league. But we should probably move on to Portland, Max. Let's do it. So the Portland Trailblazers added my favorite, Seth Curry. Uh, who else matters? Anthony Simons, who I thought was a really strange draft pick, by the way. I don't know if we really talked about that, but weird yeah. Uh, Nick Sauskas and Gary Trent Jr. Out were Pat Connaughton. Ed Davis, Shabazz Napier, and <laughs> Giorgio's Papianis. <laughs> I was uh, not fond of Portland's offseason at all, which I don't think uh, I'm going out on a limb too much there. I think most people agree. But they were pretty hamstrung in what they could do. But some of those low-level moves were surprising. You know, let, letting Davis go for what he did to Brooklyn. And, you know, I think you can't really argue that they did get weaker and that just places more pressure on the kind of stars of this team. So my main question here, Max, is, you know, can they repeat last season? I think they got 49 wins out of that team and fell into the third seed before getting, you know, bundled out in straight sets versus the Pelicans. So, you know, when I look at the West, I've kind of got them behind Houston, the Warriors, the Thunder, the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Lakers now with LeBron. It's hard to bet against him. And then there's, you know, the Pelicans, the Spurs, and even the Grizzlies, if everything goes right, that are all dangers to kind of Portland's playoff chances. So they're they're kind of right back in the pack in terms of their chances of even making the playoffs this year, I think, Max. So, you know, you, you threw up a, a trade before. I, I think they're definitely one to watch to make a move. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, well, your initial question was, can they repeat it? And the answer is yes, they can, because Damian Lillard is yep. a fucking star. I, yeah. He's so people do not understand how good that guy is. He's awesome. I love that guy. But uh, will they? I don't think so. I, I I've been. It just doesn't feel good, right? It's just sometimes teams you get a bad feeling with, and this is one of them. Like, like you said, the offseason was underwhelming. I like Seth Curry, but literally nothing else they did was good. Uh, yep. You just you kind of look at the team. You just kind of get a stinky feel. Like everyone knows the Lillard McCollum backcourt has an expiration date. I think even they know that. So like that's looming over them. 
If they get off to a bad start, I don't think... I mean, I'm not sure it's going to be the Butler trade or anything, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them trade CJ McCollum at all. Uh, I think that if they underperform and it's clear they're not going to make the playoffs, I think that they will trade him at the deadline. Yeah, and you just don't trade Dame Lillard, I don't no, think, particularly no. when they've got him on the contract that they've currently got him on. So CJ's definitely the, the lame duck there, for lack of a better term. But they did obviously hand us our 48-point loss to start the season last year, Max. And luckily, we don't play them until December 6th. So uh, after a couple of customary preseason games, we won't actually see the Blazers for quite a while as Suns fans, which... Uh, Booker likes playing them, I think, in the past. I think he shoots like above 40% from three against the Blazers. So, yeah, one to watch, and, you know, maybe it'll be a, a, a different team before we even play them on December 6, Max. Yeah, it's very possible, but like you mentioned, it's not going to be because Damian Lillard's not there. <laughs> They're not trading it. Suns fans, don't get your hopes up. I mean, I'm the biggest Damian Lillard fan in the world. I would throw a celebration if they traded for him, but, I mean, Dame could, you know, poop on Paul Allen's lawn and that he wouldn't fucking trade him. Damian Lillard's incredible. He's first-team All-NBA last year. You don't trade first-team All-NBA point guards, even if it was because Seth got hurt. You just don't. So that's a pipe dream. Uh, and if they're good, it's because it's going to be because he's awesome. Or they make a CJ McCollum for Butler trade, which I'm actually secretly rooting for because I want to see those two together. Uh, should we move on to Utah? Let's do it. Okay. Suns Twitter's favorite team, the Utah Jazz. <laughs> uh, in, Grayson Allen. That's really it. I don't know who Tyler Cavanaugh is. I guess he came from Atlanta, but really their only addition is Grayson Allen. Uh, and then out, not much either. It's uh, Jonas Drebko and <laughs> David Stockton, I guess is a name. But uh, <laughs> the team didn't change much. And so my question for you, David, is going to be kind of similar to the Denver question. How does this team go from, from you know, non-contender to contender status? And I think the obvious answer is, you know, Donovan Mitchell gets better. So and I guess so to put more of a, a fine a fine point on that, what does Donovan Mitchell need to do to get to the level where he's where this Utah Jazz team is a contender? Like, what does he need to improve in? Yeah, I think you know just to to go back to your original question there, it, it's all going to come down to internal growth. Uh, I, I don't want to harp too much on the continuity thing that that seems to keep coming up, but yeah, so much or so little movement with this team. That's clearly what it's going to come down to. And and obviously Gobert missed a little bit of time last year too. So in terms of the regular season, they should be you know better overall from a win standpoint if if everyone remains healthy. But yeah, I think you make the one point to make here is that it, it all comes down to Donovan Mitchell and him not having a second year slump and really kind of jumping on the back of that, that those playoff performances and, and becoming a, you know, a complete player that this team runs through. Uh, Rubio had his injury issues as well, particularly at the end. So it'll be interesting to see how those two match up to, a, again together. But, you know, Donovan Mitchell with a, a slightly lesser workload with some of the kind of starters back in the lineup. I think I'd love to see him focus even more again on defense. I was a massive fan of his defense coming out of college. So that could be a step that he makes, Max, now that he's kind of figured it out on the offensive end what his role is in the NBA. And he just needs to become a better shooter. Uh, and it's all just going to be about, you know, figuring it out again, I think, for Mitchell and you know, taking another leap and, and probably being, you know, he from a narrative standpoint, he, he kind of has um, the story to, to maybe be an all-star contender this year, particularly if Utah comes out, uh, you know, strong out of the gates, Max. The narrative around Donovan Mitchell is ridiculous, in my opinion. I, I've seen the, these websites ranking him as a top 20 player in the league already. It's just absurd. He's not that good yet. He showed a lot of flashes. I mean, he has... All the potential to be a top five player. He's got really all the tools. It's all there. But 
Look at his offensive numbers. I'm not just making this up. He wasn't really great at anything besides finishing at the rim. Like, he was awesome at that because he has that crazy length finish where he you know, just goes around guys with his crazy long arms. Um, one of the reasons why height's overrated. doesn't really matter. It's length. But uh, he's not good at shooting. He was mediocre. He was fine. He really wasn't a very good passer. People seem to think he's unequivocally a better passer than Devin Booker, which is just wrong. Um, he also doesn't, like you mentioned, doesn't get to the line. And part of that's because he has those crazy length finishes where he avoids contact so well. But he's going to have to learn. Sometimes you don't want to avoid contact. Sometimes you want to finish through contact, particularly because Donovan Mitchell's so athletic and strong. I mean, he's somebody who could really just be a monster getting to the line. So I think he will make those adjustments. I think he'll get there. But it, they've kind of crowned him pretty early, in my opinion. I, I want to see some more from him, I guess, is the way I'd put it. It'll be interesting to to watch that one. Obviously, the obvious Suns link here is Igor and, and how much his loss affects the guards and, and the overall offense um, for the Jazz. And um, kind of looking at them making another leap, you know, I've got another note here with, with an Aussie link with Dante Exum. I think he showed, uh, you know, great things in the playoffs, particularly those matchups against James Harden before getting injured last season. So, you know, I'm looking for a, a leap. They gave him a, a contract to show a little faith in him. So he might be a guy that kind of solidifies that bench unit for the Jazz and, and helps them make another leap, Max. Can that guy please just stay healthy, please? He's still so young as well, Max. So, you know, he's he's so just, if he can just string some games together, I think we'll see him, you know, maybe never be worthy of where they chose him in the draft, but he's definitely got value in the league. I'll start off here by saying that Utah is my top seed out of this division. So I'll rattle them off. I'm, I'm going Utah first, OKC second, Denver third, Portland fourth, and Minnesota fifth, Max. Wow, Minnesota fifth. That's tough. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all based on what I, I see them finally getting for Jimmy Butler, and I, I could be totally wrong there depending on what package it is that they do take. Um, but I'm I'm going to throw my prediction out there actually as being Portland to miss the playoffs, which would obviously mean that I'm expecting both the Blazers and the Wolves to miss the playoffs from this division this season, Max. How about you? Okay, I'll start with my ranking. So I got OKC 1, I got Utah 2, got Denver 3, I got... Minnesota four, I got Portland five. I think Portland might have a season from hell. I'm worried about Portland. And my bull prediction is that, man, I really, it was going to be that OKC is going to be the one seed before the Westbrook stuff. Now I'm nervous. Yeah. Oh, man. I still want to say it. I think, so I'll say that if Westbrook's healthy for 82 games, I'm going to predict OKC's the one seed. If he's not, I'm going to predict that they're going to go on some like crazy ass win streak or, you know, some like 30 and four stretch or something like that where everyone's like, holy shit. Is this the best team in the NBA? Awesome. I'm looking forward to that because we definitely need someone to to stick their hand up and and the Lakers don't look like it just yet and uh, Houston obviously took a a small step back. So I'd be all for that, Max, and we should probably jump into the Southeast Division now and uh, this one for the listeners may be a, a little shorter than our Northwest recap. Yeah, we'll try to make it fun, but it's inherently not fun, so it's going to be a tough task. <laughs> uh, Atlanta Hawks. This is, is going to be a long list. Bear with me because they did a lot of stuff. They added Cole Aldridge, Justin Anderson, Vince Carter, Kevin Herter, RJ Hunter, Alex Lynn, and Jeremy Lynn, no relation. Alex Poitras, Thomas Robinson, Amari Spellman, and, of course, Trey Young. They lost Malcolm Delaney. I'm only going to name the guys who matter. Mike Muscala, Dennis Schroeder, and like five or six other guys don't matter. David, what do you think about this team? 
Yeah, I'm taking the reins on Atlanta, and I'll throw two very quick questions at you here, Max. First is my son's link. Obviously, Alex Len signed with the Hawks. I don't know if he had a lot of options, but I'm questioning his decision, because if you look at the team after those ins, there's Plumley, there's Deadman, there's John Collins, there's Spellman, who they drafted, and then there's Thomas Robertson and Cole Aldrich, who are both non-guarantees, but but may make the roster. So I'm not sure that Len chose the right place for minutes here, Max. No, I don't think so either. I, I thought it was a weird signing when they made it. Like I, I think Alex Len should have been signed by somebody. He's good enough to be a backup center. But they signed him for two years, I think both guaranteed, right? Yep. And uh, like you said, it's kind of a crunch here. I don't get it for them. I don't understand why they thought that was like a use of resources, kind of at all. The one thing that he does have on his side against some of those lower-level guys, at least, is that contract that he took. It's hard to see them not playing him over some of those non-guaranteed guys, for instance, but you've still got a pretty big logjam there at the center, so that'll be one to watch with Alex. But as far as a question goes, I'm going to throw two things at you here. You know, They may sit somewhere in the middle, but I want to know which one is more likely. So... Will they be the worst team in the league, Max? Or will they be a team that shocks everyone and, you know, probably doesn't make the playoffs, but say wins kind of 30-plus games? Mm, what's more likely? Probably being the worst team in the league, but I'm not going to... I am not. Gonna, I think there's a chance. If Trey Young's really good right away and just kind of sells in NBA space, I mean, the East is really bad, so maybe... Yeah, and I like a lot of their young pieces. I, you know, I've said yep. quite a lot that I love Prince, and you know, we both loved Kevin Huerta in the, uh, you know, draft episodes that we did. So, you know, plus they got Baysmore and Vince Carter and Jeremy Lin, and you know, I really like Deadmond as well. And so, don't forget, don't forget John Collins, who looked awesome in summer league. Exactly. So, a lot I think is going to depend on who plays at the end of the day. If you look at this roster, there's a lot of those old guys. If they're getting minutes, they could be one of those shock teams where the, the young guys are kind of just playing their role and look quite good. But if they you know, completely throw all the minutes at all those young guys to get development into them and maybe land another top pick, um, yeah, I'm probably betting on them being the worst team in the league if I have to pick one. It's a fascinating what if if they would have taken Luka Doncic third instead of trade down just to kind of think about how we think differently about this team. I think we think a lot differently about it, wouldn't we? Yep, and it's going to be a what if for years to come around that yeah, trade because you know first season as GM, uh, full season as GM here with Schlenk and he's taken a massive gamble. So oh, yeah. uh, I think that's enough for Atlanta. We can move on to the Hornets ins and outs, Max. Okay, so they added Bismack Biombo, Miles Bridges, Devontae Graham, and Tony Parker. Out were Michael Carter Williams, Trevion Graham, Dwight Howard, and that's really all that matters, I think. David, this is a tough one. This is probably one of the less interesting teams in the league. They added a coach whose name I can't even remember, the San Antonio guy. Borrego. Borrego, yeah, right, Borrego, because the Suns are sort of briefly mentioned with him. Yeah, man, I don't know. Like, what, what's interesting about this team? Like, do you think Tony Parker's gonna be? What's he gonna do on this team? Like, just tell me. I have no grasp of what the team looks like. Tell me what the team's gonna look like. Um, I'm just on Kemba Walker watch here, and I think the whole mm. NBA is. Uh, there is a Suns link there, but I think it's also a, a link to uh, the entire NBA. Mitch Kupchak's the new GM. 
Uh, Jordan's obviously still the majority owner, and it's going to be really interesting to see where they go. I think Parker was clearly brought in to help Borrego teach this team how he wants to play with the, the Spurs link there, and it'll be mm. interesting to see whether he can carve out a few more years in the league uh, away from the San Antonio Spurs. But um, yeah, not a lot going on there. Uh, and probably not one that we want to spend too much time on. But yeah, they could be a playoff team or they could be one of the worst teams in the league, Max. I do want to, my one thing out of my prediction for them is I, I don't think they're trading Kimba. I think Kimba's their all-time leading scorer. I think it is. He has like all these records for this team. I think they legitimately think he's like their best player in franchise history and they want like retire his jersey and all that stuff. I don't think they're trading him. And I think it's going to be, just it's going to doom them to mediocrity for a long time. So uh, I don't think we have any show at Hornet fan listeners, but if we do, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's move on to Miami, Max. The Miami Heat, who we no longer have to root against, thank God, added... Wow. The best player they added, I guess, is Malik Newman from Kansas. Maybe Bradley <laughs> Weber. They really added nobody because uh, they're capped out. Uh, they lost Luke Babbitt, and that's basically it. Man, this team did not change. No, and that that's kind of my main question here. Are they, are they rolling it back for one more kind of uh, Wade farewell tour and... Uh, or will they make a move eventually, Max? Um, we, you know, I threw them in there with the Jimmy Butler stakes, and uh, you don't know who's next in terms of the next star to throw their hat in the ring. But you know, as we saw with the Butler trade, there's not a lot that they can add. Their salary is kind of longer term salary, other than maybe Goran and and Whiteside's you know coming up expiring deals. Um, so other teams are going to get stuck with you know, what might be okay contracts, guys like Kelly Olynyk and James Johnson are certainly valuable players in the league, but, you know, Josh Richardson's probably only their only carrot that they can dangle in, in a trade, and, you know, they start to get uh, the use of some of their first-round picks back again, so it'll be interesting to see whether Riley uses one of those, but I'm fascinated with Riley. I think this team's problems of the last few years are all down to the fact that he knows that he's not going to be in the job for too much longer and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of short-term stuff going on with Riley and I think we're going to kind of see it all come to a climax here for this season because he's he's going to either get stuck and just find them rolling it back once more and not being an attractive option going forward or he's going to make a crazy move that shocks the NBA and brings in a guy like Jimmy Butler whilst carving out half of the the team that we're used to here, but they're stuck with a lot of bad contracts. And uh, Goran's obviously the the one Suns link here, or, or, as well as uh, Derek Jones Jr., who's still on this Miami team. Max. Yeah, and you mentioned that their their only attractive asset is Josh Richardson. I guess I'd throw in Justice Winslow, kinda. Uh, he's been obviously disappointing, but maybe a team thinks they can rehabilitate him. But man, they have a lot of bad contracts, and even the ones that aren't bad are, are sort of bad in the aggregate because they just have a giant weight on the team going forward. Um, I guess yeah, Wade is coming back. Maybe that'll be fun. I don't know. The team's gonna make the playoffs in all likelihood. They're gonna win zero playoff series in all likelihood, and this kind of seems preordained. So. Not much else to say on these guys, I don't think, unless you want to say something else before we move on to Orlando. Pretty hard team to be a fan of, I think. A pretty frustrating team over the last couple yeah. of years. Just touching on... No, they had their time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They did. They, a bit of NBA karma here. And just touching on the waiters thing, I think that's probably looking like the worst contract because I'm not sure they needed to give it to him at the time. And uh, he's going to miss mm-hmm. the start of the season again, Max. So. Oh, is he really? I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, there, there's, there's definitely a delay in his recovery. So... Uh, that's going to be interesting. But yeah, let's throw to Orlando's ins and outs, Max. So Orlando's probably my favorite team in the division, which shows you how much I don't like this division. <laughs> uh, Muhammad Bamba, Isaiah Briscoe, Melvin Frazier, 
Jerry and Grant, Jarrell Martin, Timothy Mozgov are in. Out are Aaron Afuelo, Bismarck Biambo, Mario Hazonia, Shelvin Mack, and Maurice Spates. David, the big question with the team is pretty obvious. How the hell are they going to score? And it's a question well worth asking, Max. There's some, you look at those outs there, they lost a little bit of scoring. Uh, they didn't have a lot to begin with. They added some interesting pieces, and there's some kind of veteran and rookies mixed in there, but... Um, I'm with you, a really intriguing team, and there's, there's guys on the team that I that I love to watch, so I'll definitely be tuning in. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this team kind of develops and, as you say, how they can get enough scoring out of the starting five units. So um, yeah, I'll be watching Bumber. I'll definitely be watching Bumber against Aiton. They, they play each other a couple of times after seeing each other in Summer League. But yeah, just an interesting team at this point in time, Max, with Bumba and Isaac and a bit of a crunch there with Vujovic and, um, a, you know, a couple of other bigs on the roster. But yeah, not a lot here to be uh, overly interested in either, Max. I love the idea of Isaac and Bamba together long term because I love when teams do things that are unique. And, you know, a lot of times the way you win in, in all sports is by being a, a new, something that nobody else does. You just do it really, really damn well. And Bamba and Isaac could be just the freakiest, awesomest rim protection, you know, interior defense duo in the league. And they also both could possibly shoot. So, like, they're, they're just interesting to me. And I'm excited to see how they develop together. And I'm glad they're on the same team because I just think it's interesting, you know, because of a basketball fan. Uh, I kind of wish Aaron Gordon was on this team because I don't think he makes any sense on it. I wish they could trade Aaron Gordon for, like, an equal value point guard of Aaron Gordon's ability. Um, one thing I've seen mentioned, which I don't know why Portland would do this, but some people are speculating that Aaron Gordon and CJ McCollum could be a, a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, if Orlando could pull that off, hell yeah, because I would love to see CJ with the, those two bigs. But yeah, as it stands now, they don't have a point guard that I think is even remotely good. Like, who's their best point guard? Is it is it DJ Augustine? I think he is, and, and it's a, a long-term contract there, so we might see him starting with this team. Gordon's the one that I was uh, that was slipping my mind before when I was running through that big rotation. So yeah, him and his fit with Isaac and Bumba is quite interesting. In terms of you know how they're going to score, I guess Gordon's going to get a hell of a lot of opportunities to score, and you know maybe his contract's one of those ones that we see in the NBA where the team re-signs him because it just makes sense to, but. Uh, it's kind of with in mind moving him into the future. So maybe they really feature him early on in the year and see if they can get a trade that they like, Max. But Yeah, you know, it's not a bad it's not a bad contract, right? Isn't it like uh, twenty million a year flat four years? It's not bad. Yeah, they they got him for a pretty good deal given the circumstances because no one else uh really came uh, hard for him and, and some of the teams that were linked to him, like the paces and things, made some moves really early on and the, the market kind of bottomed out for him very quickly but mm-hmm. you know Hammond is the GM of this team he obviously attached himself to Giannis at Milwaukee and built a really lengthy interesting team around him so yeah I think this team could be a, a team built on Bumber and Isaac going forward and you know a real defensive I- identity and then you know maybe the offense becomes a lot easier because you, you're really keeping teams in the future to um, you know under 100 points and that becomes your identity and mm-hmm. you're just looking to carve out just enough offense to, to win games. And, and maybe that's the view that Hammond has with this team to become a real defensive-minded first team, Max. 
Yeah, I'd like to see them just kind of lean into it, push all in, and, and get like a Neil Akina type as their point guard and just go all defense. That'd be kind of fun to have a team like that. Yeah, and we we may see it. I think Hammond's definitely been all about length, mm-hmm. and, and those Milwaukee teams at their peak when he was there were you know pretty good defensive teams. So uh, that will definitely be an interesting thing to watch with Orlando and uh, we should round out with Washington ins and outs here. Let's do it. So the Washington Wizards are probably the team that is probably the most interesting to casual fans, I'd imagine. Um, they drafted Troy Brown, and then they added... Ready for this? This is quite a threesome. They added Jeff Green, Dwight Howard, and Austin Rivers. <laughs> That's something. Uh, out were Tim Frazier, Marcin Gortat, Ty Lawson, and I guess Mike Scott and Ramon Sessions weren't mentioning. Uh, what do you think of the team, David? I'm actually really high on this team, Max. When I was looking at it, I didn't realize that John Wall uh, played as few as 41 games last season, so half the season, and they still managed to, you know, go 43 and 39. So, you know, I'm wondering with a with a healthy Wall and and nothing else too bad happening, they they I think could win 50 games in the East next year, Max. They have the talent, but obviously it's the chemistry thing. I, I saw this tweet. I wish I could credit the person who did it because it was so good, but I, I can't remember who it was, but. It was something like one week till preseason, four weeks till the regular season, six weeks till the first Wizards players only meeting. <laughs> or, you know, or six weeks until the first major injury to one of these guys that really matter. <laughs> right, and yeah. then, you know, all my uh, hopes for Washington will be out the window. But I think on paper, they got better. Um, you know, whilst they're not great names, Howard, Rivers, and Green versus, say, Gortat, Mike Scott, and a combo of Lawson and Frazier. It's kind of hard to argue that they didn't get better on paper. I guess. I, I wish they would just play Sadoransky. They're going to not play him because of Austin Rivers. I don't get that. Austin Rivers, you know what? He's gotten better. When he was in the first game of the league, he was a total train wreck. He's he's better now. He can you know, put uh, provide scoring in spurts. Still not a huge fan, especially on this team. I don't think he's going to get along with John Wall and Bradley Beal. It's not exactly the easiest you know group to get along with. There isn't a lot of guard play behind Beal there either, though, Max. Mm. So we may still see mm. Sadoransky um, and Austin playing a, a little off ball. Mm. So yeah, I haven't considered that. That's a good idea. I think overall they've definitely improved their kind of you know eight to nine man rotation. And you know, Markeith Morris is still on this team. He, he's going into a contract year, like I mentioned last episode with his brother. So. Um, you know, he might fit better with, you know, Dwight Howard in the middle instead of Gortat. There's definitely a watch this space feel about this team. There is. Uh, and kind of on that note, this is kind of a sneaky uh, Jimmy Butler team, isn't it? They could package a few of those wings, maybe Ubre and uh, Otto Porter. Porter's contract definitely sits as the one that, you know, they might be able to get Minnesota to take on. Um, maybe I haven't looked at it in depth because I haven't really thought about Washington for Butler, but it's a good point, Max. Maybe with the story about them looking for someone to take Jeng's contract, I think Mahimi's got one or two less years than Jeng, so maybe a, a Jeng and Butler for Porter and Mahimi-type trade could work. That That's something that I, I definitely think both teams would look at. I have a prediction. I don't think they're going to get a team to take Jeng's contract. I just don't think they're going to get that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely agree with Anya on that. I think it's wishful thinking, and if they are getting a team to take Jeng's contract, the return back is going to look very bad for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Uh, all right, you want to move on to your ranking and your bowl prediction? Yeah, so I kind of touched on it there with Washington. There's probably, as we've touched on a couple of times, and not a lot of interesting things with this division. However, I will say that I think the Wizards are going to get 50 wins. And if you look at the div- okay. at the conference last year, I think that 
uh, puts them just behind the kind of ten- contenders of the Atlantic division, and I think they can sneak into home court, Max. Wow, okay. I, I can see it. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, they have a lot of talent. It's just, if they all stay healthy and they get along, I could totally see it. It's not crazy. Yeah, so I think that puts Washington at the top. Uh, I'll say Miami will also make the playoffs as second in the division, and then I'll put uh, Charlotte on the bubble there, and I think Orlando will probably just inch out Atlanta at the bottom of the division here, Max. How about you? Um, I'll go, I think Miami, just because of the coaching, I'll just give them the nod as, as the top from this division. I'll go Washington, Charlotte, Atlanta, Orlando, I guess. Even though I said earlier, Orlando is my favorite of these teams. Kind of, they're fun to me. I don't think they're going to be any good. Yeah, and they might be racing to the bottom there, although the odds have flattened out, so not as much motivation, but... Um, yeah, it may not say as much about the teams going forward as who's playing towards the end of the year on those teams for where they kind of finish up in the division. But it's going to be really fun to look back at these uh, rankings that we've made and, and see who uh, is more right, Max. Yeah, it will. And I, I guess I still have to get my bold prediction. Um, I'll go with John Collins will finish in the top three voting for most improved player. Is that is that bold enough? Ooh, I really like that. Um yeah, most improves a really tricky one to, to find, guys. It and, is. Uh, you know, that second-year player. Is he second-year or third-year now? I'm, I'm drawing a blank on that. He's, he's second-year. Yeah, he'd be, se- be second-year. So increased role, um, kind of that, that CJ McCullum, I think, type award. Got it a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we could. it is a points award. You know, I've looked at the awards quite in-depth uh, in, in another life of mine, Max. So, you know, that's one of... Uh, the ones that is really looked at points-wise. And uh, Collins could be a, a leading scorer on that team. So, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, that's, I think it's, that's bold enough for me. It's going to help to have uh, Trey Young be your point guard rather than Dennis Schroeder in terms of getting... <laughs> exactly, Max. So let's, uh, let's move on to seven seconds or less. This is the segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other has not prepared and for which the other has seven seconds or less to answer, but we never follow that rule. David, it's your turn to ask me questions. Yeah, and I've, I've kind of taken your lead from last episode and, and mixed it up slightly here. So I'll go with question one. I know you're high on OKC's chances this year, but if you could take one player from the Southeast, which is quite a boring division, as we said, and put them on a Northwest team to create a contender in the West, who would it be? Oh man, that's really good. Um, let me very quickly. I think I put Bradley Beal on OKC. Ooh, that's nice. That that would be some nice spacing, right? Man, I think that he, he Westbrook and George that would be something. It'd probably have to be maybe Stephen Adams going the other way, which oh, then hell no, I'm not doing it. I fucking love Stephen Adams. But you know, Nerlens Noel might take that starting spot, and you know, hey, what are all these rules? I thought I just got to match with my one. Yeah, I won't. I won't throw the uh, CBA rules in there for you. I like that. And Adams, Beal, George, Westbrook lineup would be uh, certainly a contender in the West. So, will the North West Division have more playoff teams? then the South East Division will have non-playoff teams, Max. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, I think that Northwest will have three, and I think the Southeast will have three. I'm going to call it a tie. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, that's probably where it's looking. I thought you might go four. And I'm uh... worried about Portland uh, and also Minnesota, to, uh, seeing what they get for Butler. So yeah, I, I think uh, those teams are probably going to fall out. A little up in the air there, so we'll call that one a tie. Uh, the third one, which I teased earlier in the episode, Max, 
Uh, I want you to tell me if you have any interest in the following Northwest Southeast point guards who are going to be free agents next summer. Okay. And then based on your answers, we'll also rank them at the end. So just a, a yes, no for interest sake at the moment. Ricky Rubio. Yes. Jeremy Lin. No. Kemba Walker. Ooh, yeah, tentatively, yes. Goran Dragic. Mm, not really. Tyus Jones. Yes. Isaiah Thomas. No. <laughs> Okay, so I think we end up there with Ricky Rubio, Kemba Walker, and Tyus Jones. So, And to be clear there, I think it was maybe obvious, but I was considering how much I thought they were going to sign for. In that. Yeah, and I think that should come into the ranking here. So Rubio, Kemba Walker, and Tyus Jones, and roughly what they're going to expect to be paid. Who do you make the first call to? next summer and and then what's your your two after that well the other problem is Tyus Jones is restricted right he is with let's let's kind of take that out of the situation here in terms of prioritizing them okay so I think in just in terms of pure like how much I think I can sign up for bang for the buck sort of thing I think he's probably number one that everyone mentioned because I think you can get him pretty cheap and I obviously like a lot as I mentioned earlier and then it's probably Kemba I guess I I mean I don't want to pay him the full four-year max for signing him away but I would Probably pay him a max for you know two or three years, sort of like the uh, Paul Millsap deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I get Rubio's the last guy, right? And uh, I like him fine. I wouldn't want to give him a ton of money. I mean, maybe like a can you get him for twelve million a year? Maybe potentially. You know, these things change very quickly in the market, and then you know, we've touched on it quite a lot. There's a lot of point guards coming up, not just from this division. So you know, Rubio might mm-hmm. be the guy that misses out on the the money that he really wants. I guess there's some things to like about him, right? Because he's obviously a transcendent passer, and then he is a great defender, uh, underrated defender. The problem is like. I really want to shoot next to Booker, and he's obviously not a shooter. Yeah, he he added a little bit to the, to that game last year. Had one of his better shooting years. Bit, Maybe yeah. improves a little bit again, and and a lot of that improvement was down to Igor actually, Max. So or or so it's reported. So I'm really honing in on Rubio as a, a an under the radar uh, target for the Suns, as I've touched on in a couple of previous mm-hmm. episodes. But I won't labor that point too much more, as I'm sure there's going to be episodes in the future to talk about that, Max. Cool. Well, uh, I think that's the end of the podcast. Podcast, everyone, thank you for listening. If you could please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, it helps a tremendous amount. It really does. If you could do that, it just it means the world to us. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at maxmcc11. You can follow David on Twitter at the Four Point Play. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Seven Sol Pod. David, thank you so much. This is actually a really fun one. It is, and we've got one more of the Division series to go next episode, and we're hoping to come back with a special guest for that one to talk a little bit about training camp at the top of the episode as well, Max. Yeah, there's a team you guys might care about in one of those divisions. Uh, so <laughs> we're wasting a little more time on them than the rest. But uh, thanks, everyone. <laughs>